in between emotional and my life under construction, excited to just be able to share um, something that, that has been on my heart a lot lately. You know, because I'm so stubborn and oblivious at the same time, God uh, deals with me in very, um, like, just point-blank ways. And, and I feel like he's putting things on my heart, speaking to me. And it's usually just like a two-by-four to the head, like over and over again, you know, scriptures, conversations. And, and there's been a, something that keeps coming up in me and, and with me and different things and just has resonated so strongly with me. And so I wanted to share it with you today. And I'm going to be in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read this scripture, and then we'll, we'll kind of get to where we're going to go to this morning. But John chapter 5, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. So this is crazy. You're not even going to want to believe it. But like, if you research this kind of historically, theologically, biblically, there was a pool at Bethesda, real thing here, that had this spiritual power to it. So you had, there, there was, just imagine, go with me for a second, you're sitting at your community pool, all right? And all of a sudden, like, the pool starts swirling and, and moving. And this really was true that, that it was a spiritual place. And, and the way it worked, hard to explain, but whoever the first person to get in the water was, was healed of whatever they needed healing for. It was just insane, but true. And so that's where Jesus is at right now. Jesus is at this pool with all of these sick people laying around by the pool uh, waiting on the water to be stirred. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. 38 years. I'm 32, so this is six years longer. My age is not important. I just want to let you know my birthday is like uh, in like 10 days or whatever. So just, you know, just as a heads up. Um, and so uh, he's been laying there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, and I just love that we serve a God who knows where we are. I love that we serve a God who knows how we feel. I love that we serve a God who's not caught off guard by our afflictions and, you know, that Jesus sees him and knows how he's been and where he's been for 38 years. And some of you today, you need that encouragement. You say, I feel all alone and, you know, God doesn't know where I'm at. No one knows where I'm at. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what you've been feeling and facing when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him this question, and this is kind of what I want to focus on today. Jesus says to the man, would you like to get well? Would you like to get, would you like to get well? Let me ask you this question. How many movie, like lovers, movie buffs do we have in the room? You just love movies. Let me see your hand. Come on, you love movies. Andrew and I, when we first got married, we moved to Louisiana in this town that was really nothing to do. And except in the mall food court, there was a, a, a movie theater that was not, it was kind of a shady joint, but, but it played brand new movies for $2. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go wherever, you know, if you're going to play a new movie for $2. So, Andrew and I, like, we didn't really have much to do, we're newlyweds, we're broke, but we went and saw every movie that came out, whether we wanted to see it or not. So, I was like, you want to go see a movie? Sure, $4, there we go, you know, and. We'd like, you know, don't judge me, but we'd sneak all our concessions in and our jacket and everything. I know you don't do that, but we'd do that. And, um, and so, 
we would just, we, we've just kind of became, you know, we just love movies and love a good story. And as I was thinking about kind of where we're going today with this message, um, kind of an odd thought, but I, I began to think about the movies in my life that have made me cry. Any men in here, you'd be willing to be manly enough to admit I cry at movies? Come on, let me see your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not really a crier, uh, but there have been some movies that have really brought it out of me. Um, I just want to throw them at you real quick. Number one, one of the most underrated movies of all time, Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah, yeah. If you have not seen Mr. Holland's Opus, I'm giving you permission to leave right now, go find it, and go, it will be more spiritual than this message if you go watch Mr. Holland's Opus. When I don't want to ruin it for you, but when Dreyfus walks in at the end, after four decades of pouring himself, this will preach, and, and, and he begins to direct the, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm just crying. So when I was uh, like 16 or 17, I'm feeling very ADD today. I just want to give you a heads up. When I was, when I was 16 or 17, uh, I was home by myself. My parents traveled a lot, and, and they were traveling ministers, pastors, preachers. And so this was actually a weekend where my mom was speaking somewhere, and so my dad went with them. My brother was at college. I'm home by myself. Uh, And just to give you a glimpse on how incredibly cool I was as a kid, I'm 16 or 17 by myself on a Friday night. I'm home watching the ABC Friday night movie, and it's Mr. Holland's Opus. I'd already seen it like 10 times. I'm watching it again, and it gets to the end, and I'm crying, and I'm feeling sentimental, and I pick up the phone, and I call my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I just, I'm sitting here watching Mr. Holland's Opus, and... I just want you to know I love you. And, uh, and my dad says back to me, I know, son, I'm in the motel room watching it too, and I just want you to know that. True story. True story. Ain't even kidding. If you ain't seen it, you'll cry. Trust me. Okay, you'll try. Um, hardball? Anybody seen Hardball. Keanu Reeves coaches an inner city baseball team and he looks at those kids and he says thank you for showing up if that doesn't make you cry you're you're got a problem um the Disney Halloween movie Hocus Pocus it's a true story this was not sentimental cry this was afraid cry I was crying because I was afraid I still can't watch that movie. No kidding. Just so many feelings coming. Um, a top five movie of all time, Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Come on. It's bobsled time. So they carry that bobsled across the finish line, and John Candy's waiting on them. And John Candy looks at my man who led the team. I can't remember his name right now. And he says, thank you. I'm sorry, the guy looks at John Candy and says, thank you. And John Candy looks back at him and says, no, thank you. It makes you cry. And then um, just one more, this true story. These these are the only five movies in my life that have made me cry. I hope this is a safe place. Y'all are not going to use this against me. (laughs) This was probably more because of the Michael Jackson soundtrack, but Free Willy. Anybody just want to let the Lord work on you today and admit that you cried at Free Willy? Come on, anybody? Am I the, okay, all right, me and Bobby, Free Willy. There's a point to this. It's not just embarrassing myself. I, I, 
I love a good story. We all love a good story. And you probably know this. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but good stories are not an accident. You don't watch a great movie, read a good book, and it just accidentally a good story came together. That if you study it and research it, that there's actually a formula. There is a, there is a literary arc, and I'm married to an English teacher, but there's a literary arc, and I don't want to give you all the details, but that lay out how, when, and where, and what should happen so that it makes a story interesting. And early on in the process of the ark, there is something called an inciting incident. Have you ever heard about this? An inciting incident. And the, the, the technical definition of an inciting incident is this. It's the event that catalyzes the protagonist to go into motion and to take action. But paraphrasing, it's some kind of conflict that forces the main character to move, to do something. They can't stay where they are. They can't stay the same. they got to change. Something's got to happen. Every great movie, they actually say when you're watching a movie that the inciting incident usually has to happen within the first nine minutes or nobody's interested in the movie is what they say. And so you can go back to every great movie that you've ever liked, won these awards or whatever, and you can find the inciting incident. It's the conflict, something that happened that forced the main character to change. So just a couple of classic examples in The Wizard of Oz. The inciting incident was when the tornado blew Dorothy from Kansas to Oz. She's got to do something. She can't stay where she is. She's got to figure out how to get home. She's got to go on this journey of self-discovery or whatever you want to say. In Gladiator, it was, this is a spectrum of movies, but in Gladiator, it was when Maximus was arrested and he found out his family has been killed and this conflict has now caused him to decide what he wants to do with his life and how he's going to find revenge. In Taken, it's when the daughter is taken. Like, it's, it's when conflict happens that forces the main character to have to change, to make a decision to move. They can't stay where they are. And we don't like conflict in our lives. We don't like pain. We don't like trouble. And we talk about it a lot around here. But the truth is, is that the inciting incidences in our lives are the things that force us to become better. Amen. They force us to, to become better. They force our faith to grow. They force us to grow up and they force us to mature. And you and I have had all kinds of inciting incidences in our lives. It's like, uh, sir, man, when you found out you were going to be a father, that's an inciting incident. You think, oh, I need to get life insurance. You think, oh, I got to paint a room. You think, I need to buy a minivan. I need to, whatever it is, you know, I need to get in better shape. I need to find a new career. I need to make more money. You know, whatever it is, that's an inciting incident. Um, what about like uh, when you, uh, let's see, when you found out that you lost your job and you got to do something. It's like life has kicked you out of the nest and you got to learn how to fly. When you had a heart attack and the doctor said, next time you won't be so lucky, you got to get your health in shape, you got you to get it together. When you found out your spouse has been cheating on you, when someone that you love dies, all of these things in life are things that are not good in the moment and they're painful and we don't like them and, and we wish we didn't have to deal with them or put up with them. But the reality is, is that those are the moments that make us better. Those are the moments that grow us and stretch us. And you've heard me talk about it many times. Andrea could tell the story better than I can, but the 22 months that my mom 
had stage four cancer before she passed away, Andrea would say that was when Jason became a man. Like that was when he grew up because of all the things that he faced in his faith and his belief in God and life and circumstances. And no one wants to go through those, those moments. And we read it all the time, but James 1, 2, and 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That's what grows us. Staying where we are is where we rust. Stretching and changing and moving is where we grow. So, so we look at these, these inciting incidences in life, incidents in life, and we want to be sad, mad, whatever about it. But thank God for inciting incidents in our lives. Because at some point, the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. Amen. And it takes those moments in life to where we have to realize that the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. And so I will jump off the cliff, I'll get out of the nest, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes because I've got to move, I've got to change, I've got to do something. And so on this day, Jesus shows up to a man who was about to have an inciting incident. Jesus shows up to a man who has been uh, crippled and lame for 38 years. We find out a little later he had no friends to help him. He, he um, no relationships, loneliness, disease. And Jesus shows up and he asks a really bizarre question to a man who's been sick for 38 years. He walks up to him and he asks the question, do you want to get well? No offense to Jesus, but what a dumb question. A man who's been crippled for 38 years, hanging out by the pool where he can find healing, and Jesus shows up and says, do you want to get well? Why would you ask a man who's been sick for 38 years if he wants to get well? Of course he wants to get well, right? But look at this guy's answer in verse 7. Jesus shows up and says, 38-year-old man who's been crippled your whole life, do you want to get well? And the man says back to Jesus in verse 7, I can't. Everybody say, I can't. I can't. I can't, the man replied. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. It's a really interesting response because it's not an answer to the question that Jesus asked. Jesus said, do you want to be well? It's a yes or no question. Do you want to be well? Yes or no? And the man replies, I can't. He didn't answer Jesus's question. There comes a point after enough pain enough heartache, enough disappointment when you just believe that the things in your life, that they'll never change. They're never gonna change. And, and, and so you can probably, I can probably relate to this man because one of the biggest lies that the devil tells us is that the way that it is is how it will always be and that things are never, never going to change. And, and, and can we just be honest this morning and just admit that after a while, you just get, try, you get tired of trying. 
You get tired of, of, of mustering up the motivation to try again. You get tired of being let down, of, of not you know, delivering. Because I'm sure there have, been, there have been guys who have walked past this guy before and said, hey, I'll help you get in the pool. Hey, if you'll pay me, I'll help you. And that was a con. Or, hey, if, if, you'll, uh, if you'll help me out, I'll help you out. Or what do you need? I'll be here for you. I'll never leave you. And here he is sitting here 38 years later after letdown, after letdown, after letdown, after letdown. So it's not just as simple as, do you want to be well, yes or no? This man is dealing with the tension and the years of emotional and mental fatigue and pain and strain. I can almost hear his voice as Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be well? I can almost hear his voice as he says, ah, I just can't. I, I, I can't. Thank you but I just can't. And maybe you've tried in your life to be well. Maybe, maybe there are some things in your life that have crippled you too. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, it hadn't been 38 years, but it's been three years or 15 years or 20 years. I know what it's like to be crippled. I know what it feels like to feel like you're all alone and to feel like no one can help you. I know what it feels like to get tired of trying. I know what it feels like to just look at God, no matter how great the sermon is, no matter how strong the presence of God is, no matter how faith-filled my friends are, I know what it feels like to just say to God, God, I just can't. I can't. I can't. I'm trying to raise these kids the best I can, but I can't. I'm trying to fix this marriage, but I can't. I'm trying to get clean from this addiction, but I can't. I'm trying to find a spouse, but I can't. I'm trying to get pregnant, but I can't. I'm trying to forgive someone who hurt me a long time ago, but I can't. I'm trying to fix my finances, but I can't. I'm trying to have a relationship with my parent, but I can't. I'm trying not to be depressed all the time, but I can't. I'm trying to have faith, but I can't. I can't. And if you're here today and you say, yep, ding, 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 that's me. You're right. That is what I feel. That is where I am. I can't. I want you to be encouraged today because you're in great company. Because the Bible is filled with people who responded to God when he wanted to do something miraculous or incredible in their life. They responded with, I can't. God shows up to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and says, I choose you to be the deliverer of my people. And Moses says, but I, I, I can't talk all that good. I can't, I can't do it. I can't go back to Pharaoh. They want to kill me. I can't. I can't do that. God shows up, angel shows up to Gideon and says, I want you to lead an army against 10,000 of your oppressors. And Gideon's like, I can't do that. I'm from the smallest, poorest family. I'm from the south end. Go ask somebody over there on, you know, St. Matthews. I can't do it. Angel shows up to Sarah and says, you're going to have a baby. Sarah says, I can't have a baby. I'm 99 years old. I can't, I can't get pregnant. Same angel showed up to Abraham and Abraham didn't say I can't. He just started laughing at God. And so God made him mute 
for nine months, which is, never mind, I'm going to keep going. Um, <laughs> I was going to make a bad joke. Um, the 12 spies go into the promised land that God had promised them. After parting the Red Sea, they come back and, and two of them say, we can do it. And 10 of them say, we can't. And they turn the whole crowd against God's plan. The rich young ruler showed up to Jesus, and Jesus said, you can follow me, and you can be perfect, but I want you to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler said, I, I, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do it. And so maybe you're here today, and you're crippled by unforgiveness and, and hurt and pain, addiction. And Jesus asks you the same question today that he asked the man sitting by the pool. He's not asking you, can you make yourself well? He's not asking you, can you figure it out? He's not asking you, can you, you know, muster up one more good idea? He's asking you, do you want to be well? And that question has haunted me for the past few weeks because, because it would seem like a no-brainer that every person in here today who's hurting wouldn't want to hurt anymore. It seems like a no-brainer that every person who's addicted in here wouldn't want to be addicted anymore. It seems like a no-brainer that every person in here who has a terrible marriage would want to have a great marriage. It seems like a no-brainer, but I want to show you just one other story, very similar story in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Peter and John one day went to the temple to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth, same condition, crippled from birth. We don't know how old he was, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from people, beg from the people, going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. And look at this line. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting money. So I want you to just put yourself in the story here for just a second. Same condition. Born crippled, every day of his life goes and sits by the gate where all the spiritual people walk in to pray. And every day he just sits there and he just asks for money. Now, I don't want to like, I don't know this guy. I can't, I don't want to read too much into what's going on in his mind. But let me tell you what has happened to someone when they've decided that they're going to settle in to being crippled and just ask for money. What they're saying is, it's never going to be any better than this. Just help me get through right now. I'm never going to be crippled, but you could buy me some food. I'm never going to not be crippled, but, you know, I can buy a new outfit. Like, hey, you're doing better than I am. Could you just help me out for a little bit? It never crossed this guy's mind that it could ever be any different. Never crossed this guy's mind that he could be healed or that someone could pray for him. And so when Peter, because I'm sure most people, like, me and you, like, you know, you drive by somebody. I've never lived in a city where more football teams collect money at red lights. I don't know what's happening in Louisville. But, yeah. So, you know, you look the other way or whatever. And so here are two guys 
who look at him intently, he said, he's probably thinking, man, when somebody looks at me like this, they give me a 20. When somebody looks at me like that, I'm about to get some good money. Hey, help me out, help me out, help me out. You know, do, do me a favor, expecting, expecting to get money. Never crossed his mind that God could do something in his life and heal him. And so Jesus asked the guy in the first story we read, do you want to be well? We read in Acts chapter 3, and I'm just kind of putting these stories together for a second. I'm not convinced, and I'm not coming from a superior place. I'm not judging you. Here's my point I'm trying to make. I'm not convinced that, that some of us in the room would rather not just sit by the gate and do this and ask for help and just ask for people to, to kind of like solve our problems than we would ask God to make us well. So we, we just expect sympathy. We just expect a handout. We just expect people to, to, you know, help us. We just have lived our lives as takers and not givers because we don't feel like we have anything to give. And so, yeah, we're part of a church, but we're not, like, really adding to the church. We're just walking around saying, like, hey, woe is me. Let me tell you what my dad did to me this time. My parents got divorced. My, you know, my parents walked out on me. My boss fired me. My friend betrayed me. My spouse cheated on me. My kids won't talk to me. And, and we're just, let me tell you how awful my life is. Let me tell you how crippled I am. Let me tell you how terrible everything is going on for me. Right. And we're not ever expecting it to get any different. We're just expecting Somebody to, you know, have some sympathy, somebody to give us a handout, whatever it is. Because you get to a place in your life where you think it'll never change. It'll never get any better. Why should I get my hopes up? And what happens to us like this guy in Acts chapter 3 is, is after enough time, our condition becomes our identity. You stay hurt and crippled for long enough, your condition becomes your identity. You're the divorced person. You're the bankrupt person. You're the addict. You're the person whose parents got divorced. You're the person who got cheated on. Like, and I'm not minimizing what happened to you because it's deep and the pain is real and the hurt is real. I'm not minimizing what is happening. But Jesus asks you a question this morning. Do you want to be well? Like, if he could put it all behind you, do you want it to be all behind you? I mean, so like Jesus says, do you want to really forgive and forget and move on? That's a real question. Because when you forgive and forget and move on, you give up all your weapons and the fights that you're going to have with people who have hurt you in the past. When you decide to really move on with your life and not be defined by not having a dad or not be defined by an addiction, then you got to move on. Matter of fact, he, the guy gets healed next chapter three, spoiler alert. And Peter and John says, go present yourself. So it's almost like if God really does change me and heal me and fix me, now I got to be accountable. Now I got to present myself. Now I got to contribute. Now I got to be a giver. And if we're just being honest, not throwing, not like throwing stones here, sometimes it's just easier to be miserable but not be expected to do anything or to be anything and just be known by our condition. Just be known by our condition. Do you want to be well? I can't. I can't. I can't forgive them. I can't do it. I just, I just can't do it. And my heart breaks and my faith has been so alive this week, just thinking that today could maybe be the day because I don't know why this guy, it took 38 years. I don't know why Jesus went to him when he passed all the other sick people. 
I don't know why God didn't heal him when he was born. I have no idea. But on this day, there was an inciting incident when a guy who had the ability to change his circumstances said, do you want to change? Do you want to change? You know, God doesn't just want to give you momentary peace. I love so much. I, we hear this and we pray about this and we work for this. But I hear so many people say, I love Hope City Church because my life is terrible and my family's terrible and my kids are terrible and my job's terrible. But when I come here, just 60 or 70 minutes, you know, I feel so much better. I love that. We are known by that. We want that to be the case. But like God doesn't want you to just have momentary 70-minute peace. Like God wants you to have victory in your life. He wants you to have abundant life, life to the full. But if you choose to really lay down those things that have been crippling you and walk out these doors, you, you don't get to go back and sit by your gate and keep asking everybody to feel sorry for you or to give you something or to fix your problems for you. You have to be a new person. And so Jesus asked this question. He says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be free? Do you really want to forgive? Do you, not, do you really not want to be bitter anymore? Do you really? And I know as I say this today, some of you in the room are saying, like, Jason, that's easy for you to say. You never had a problem in your life. You, you grew up with a great family. Like, I, I get all that. I got to be honest, I have lived this for the last four years. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but Andrew and I, we had some friends from the outside who finally said to me one day, every time we talk, you bring up something that happened three or four years ago, and it's exhausting. Are you going to be defined by that? Or do you want God to let you, to take you forward and to move you on? And so I, I know what this is like, and I know the emotional exhaustion of just being like, I can't get past it, I can't get over it, I can't get up, I can't move on. I know what that feels like. And so if you're here today, I'm not saying, you know, that's your problem. Figure it out, buddy. I just want to make sure. I'm going to give you an answer here in just a second. I just want to make sure that you answer that question. Do you want to be better? A couple years ago, um, several, several years ago, there was a couple in the church. I don't go here anymore, unfortunately, but there was a couple in the church, and they weren't married. They were living together, kind of playing house, and but they decided they wanted to give their life to Christ. They got baptized, were really feeling like God was really changing them and doing something incredible in their life. It was awesome. And, and they wanted to meet with me. And so they came up here uh, to the church one, one time and we're beginning to talk. And I said to them the same thing I would say to some of you guys, you know, like, listen, this, this idea of kind of like acting married, like it's, God's got better for you. Like, don't settle for this, Amen. you know? And I told the girl, I'm like, like if he won't marry you, like, Get rid of them. You know what I mean? Like God's got better for you. It's not just about sleeping together and acting like, like God has great plans for you, but you need to do it God's way. Amen. And they're like, yes, we know you're right. We want to live for I'm just so excited. You're right. She said, but there's one problem. If we got married, I would lose all of my, my, my government, you know, benefits that, that I, that I have to have. I said, well, how much money are we talking about? And I don't want to get into all the details, but when it was all said and done after conversations that day with different things that were coming up, it literally was a $2,700 a month decision of whether or not I wanted to do it God's way or not. 
And I, sa- I said to them, I said, listen, you have got a really tough decision because your life is not how you want it to be and you're, you're kind of scraping at the bottom and God has incredible plans for your life. And I didn't say this then because I didn't know what I know today, but really what was happening in that moment in my office that day was Jesus was giving them a chance to answer the question, do you want to be well? Because if you want to be more, I can help make you more. If you want to have victory, I can give you victory. If you want life to be great, I can get you towards better than where it is now. We can make it great. But do you really want to be better? And unfortunately, that day, they said, I just, uh, we can't do it. I said, look, I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. This is not, you're not a bad person. But you're going to have to come to the point where you say, God, I'm willing to do it your way no matter what it costs me. And they looked at me that day and they said, we can't. We just can't. We just can't. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, I, that's me. Like, I, I, I want to do it God's way. I want to be well. I want to be whole. I want to be fixed. I want to get better. But I just, I just can't. I want to end by reading you Exodus chapter 3. You probably know the story of Moses. But, but you know, 40 years in Egypt, kills a guy, he runs, he's out in the desert for 40 years, and he's out there one day moving sheep, and there's a bush that's on fire, and God is speaking through the bush, and he says to Moses, I want you to be my deliverer, and we know because we've talked about it already, Moses is like, I can't, God says, no, you can, I can't, no, you can, you can do it, and in verse 13, Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. The original translation would go, I am who I will be. But in other words, God says to Moses, I am. Am. And so for just like maybe just like 60 more seconds, 120 more seconds, I just want just to ju- just juxtapose those two statements real quick. We're over here looking at what the possibility of living life to the full and having victory is, but what it would cost us, what we would have to obey, what that would mean. And, and we say, I can't. And God says, I am. We say, I can't do it. And God says, I am. I can't. I am, I can't, I am. God says, I am able to heal you. I am gracious, I am willing, I am in love with you. I'm on your side, I am patient. And so whatever it is that you need God to be today, God says, I am. You say, well, I need God to be a banker because I'm broke. God says, I am. You say, well, I need God to be a counselor because my marriage is about to fail. God says, I am. You say, well, I need God to, uh, to be a friend because I'm incredibly lonely. God says, I am. You say, well, I need God to be a healer because my body is deteriorating. God says, guess what? I am. I'm that. I'm that. You say, well, I'm going to need God to be a shrink because I don't know how I'm going to let go of this pain. God says, I am. I am. Whatever you need him to be, he is. And so, and so today we're here and we're facing this feeling of wanting to be better and wanting to change. And we say to God, 
God, I've tried before and I can't do it. And God says back to us, I know I am. I am. I am. Maybe, just maybe, I I don't get to decide things like this, but maybe, just maybe, today is your day. Maybe, just maybe, today is the day you let the hurt go. Maybe, just maybe, today is the day where you forgive and you bring the marriage back together. Maybe today is the day where you say, I'm going to trust God enough to to give and to tithe. Maybe this is the weekend that you're never, ever going to do drugs or alcohol again. I don't know why on this day, 38 years into this guy's life, Jesus showed up, but he showed up and he said, Do you want to be well? And if today your answer is, yes, I do. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, God, I don't want to be crippled anymore. And God says, I am. I can do it. I can heal you. I can fix you. I can get you on your feet. You don't have to be this way anymore.